What's up, Fifth and Long fans? Welcome back to the show. Pat here. Uh, real excited for the episode today. It is the peak of college hoop season, almost. March is right around the corner. Not quite the peak yet, but we're getting there. Um, and we can't wait. Paul's a huge college hoops fan. I'm a big hoops fan as well. So today we're going to be giving some recaps of some games that happened last weekend. We're also going to be giving our top four teams in the country as well as looking into some teams on the rise some teams on the bubble around the nation uh, enjoy the show you can find us on twitter at fifth and long or on instagram and youtube at fifth and long pod enjoy it folks fifth and long welcome back everybody i hope you didn't miss us too too much as uh, it seems like we're recording almost every day getting some content out to you guys just about every day leading up to the Super Bowl, and then we take this week off. Feels feels crazy, man, that it's been that long since we've been back on on the air here. But really, not too long in the grand scheme of things. It's what happens though when when there's no football to talk about, man. Patrick, I I was just sitting around yesterday with no football on on Sunday, and it felt so weird. I mean, I felt like that. Uh, I don't know if you're a Narcos fan, but it's like if you ever seen that Pablo Escobar meme where he's just sitting on like his park bench and just slumped and with nobody around him, just depressed. It's kind of how I felt. Um, how about you, man? No, no football going on lately. How are you keeping, uh, keeping occupied on the weekends? Yeah. Not going to lie. I was, um, I, I had my own Super Bowl hangover in the sense of I was not physically hung over from drinking alcohol. I was just, like depressed <laughs> when I realized there was no football I immediately went down a YouTube wormhole that lasted 12 hours of all of the best plays from like not just the top 100 plays of the NFL season but like highlight reels of like random rookies and like this and that I, I found a Brock Purdy highlight reel that lasted uh, a minute and 11 seconds from this season <laughs> it just had like like eight throws on it <laughs> they were like his only like his deep throws basically from the year that's i'm i'm kind of messing around but uh yeah dude i just went in a deep youtube wormhole and like um discovered uh ncaa 14 disc for for xbox 360s so i've been playing an unhealthy amount of that game and um yeah, there like the NBA All Star break happened, and and we had the two days or whatever without sports, and then the All Star break for the NBA. That the game itself was so boring, and and the the skills competition night with the three point contest and dunk contest was kind of lame. Although the the Sabrina Ionescu and um, Steph Curry shooting against each other that was actually pretty fun. That was my favorite part of the whole weekend. Actually, like it it wasn't even close either. Yeah, I saw some clips of that. That looked pretty cool with everything that they had going on there. Um, the three point contest, yeah, is, is pretty cool. That's I, it's unbelievable to me how how much of those shots those guys make um, and girls. But uh, well, it was crazy. I Ionescu hit. I think she had more points than if she. Okay, so if she was actually in the competition field, she would have qualified for the final of the actual like three point contest with the score that she put up against Steph. Like, and she was shooting from the NBA line too. It's not like she was shooting from the WNBA line. Like she, I, to me, it's like, all right, great. So she's just as good a shooter as some of these other people. She's just not as good as, oh, the greatest shooter greatest of, of basketball time. in the history of the game. 
like sorry wow what did, what did you guys expect like it was pretty cool i would like for them to do more stuff like that in the future especially when uh caitlin clark plays professionally i think that could be pretty exciting um yeah it's it's cool uh, basketball men's and women's i think go hand in hand at a lot of levels but they haven't at the top level for a long time and i think there's a shift towards more of that top level of the women's game being recognized, which, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and it starts at, at South Carolina too, actually our, our alma mater. I was at that game Saturday where the Gamecocks lost to LSU. That was pretty brutal. Um, just awful second half. They outscored us 39, 31 in the second half. And like, I don't know what happened to us the last couple of minutes, but we just shut down defensively. Once Michi got hurt with like, six seven minutes left the the offense got real sluggish and, and there wasn't as much happening there for him yeah i was disappointed to see that result uh of our game cox as well but i guess uh yeah you know i didn't watch much of the nba all-star all-star game but uh, i did know as one of the sides put up 211 points so um yeah i know that they got a they got to find a way to make that more competitive but i feel like that's what we say about all the professional sports now Football's going through the same thing, really, with the exception of baseball. It's just, I don't know, these guys don't want to get hurt. So kind of sucks that something that used to be kind of cool 15, 20 years ago just doesn't have that same effect now. But I understand why. I, I get it. These guys, you know, they're a walking paycheck and, and they got to protect their biggest assets with themselves. So, yeah, the, like, to be honest, I don't really like don't get me wrong. I don't enjoy the way the NBA All-Star game is now, but I don't hate it. I'm not like wow, this isn't the what the what I knew and loved from the All-Star game 20 years ago. This is the same NBA All-Star game I've known pretty much my entire life watching it. Like, I don't expect anything different. I'm not going to change my, like, mindset towards it, right? Baseball, yes, has the best All-Star game. Hockey does some cool things, but I don't really watch it either because I don't, I don't follow hockey, so I, don't, I wouldn't know most of the guys in it. it it's not – it doesn't make sense for me personally. Um Pro Bowl and the NFL, I, I don't give a shit. And the the All-Star Weekend in basketball, I love the, like, pop and circumstance of it. It's, like, it's different because usually, even in the regular season, like, these guys are competing against each other so frequently. It's kind of cool to see them out of that, like, headspace and just, like, having fun, like, relax a little bit, like, messing around on the court. When you see that with guys that talented, you see some special stuff. But it's not quite as exciting when, like, there's no effort from the defensive side to keep these guys from trying these things. It turns into, like, whatever the basketball version of a seven-on-seven is, which isn't very enticing to to sports viewers' eyes, you know? Yeah, I I think as viewers that we just – and I actually saw an old clip of uh, Kobe Bryant um, doing an interview or a podcast earlier today, earlier today when I saw the clip, and he's like – you just got to make it like an entertaining pickup game. Like you would see on the blacktop or something like that, or, you know, you would see it at the wire in the gym. That's all we're really asking for. We're asking for some sort of defense out there. We're not asking people to like run through picks or, you know, to go dive on the floor for anything, but just like, give us a little bit more like competitive edge, at least for somebody who's a little bit further away from the game. That is the NBA. That's, that's what I hope for as, as somebody who doesn't tune in that much. So we'll see maybe, uh, maybe one day I know LeBron was asked about that. Uh, maybe they'll they'll transition to something a little bit more competitive down the road, but not 100% sure if that's going to happen. 
There was one actually cool thing that I saw. They had a a team of G leaguers play a team of like first year players, and they played to a to a score total. I think they played to like forty or something. I don't remember the exact number. It might have been forty. It might have been less. But the G League team actually beat the team of NBA players. And the guy who hit the game winning shot, Maras Buzelis, is a projected. He's been a projected top four or five overall pick for next year's draft for a while. He was even a, at one point project, projected to be the top overall pick. Some people still have him as such. It's just not really clear cut. This year's NBA draft isn't nearly as exciting as the last one. Um, but yeah, like that to me kind of gets me excited. Like I, I wouldn't mind seeing like, like the NBA all-stars against like, five regular dudes who work an office job but if the regular dudes win or lose by less than a hundred they win a hundred thousand dollars like there's got to be some kind of incentive where like you make the nba players like actually try a little bit more and then maybe you offset their talent with, with just some like regular ass people so that we can see some really crazy like alley-oops imagine victor webb and yama alley-ooping over like like me at the nba all-star game you would just like i don't jump. think it'd be too challenging for him <laughs> you would just like jump over me you know what i'm saying like that would be way more exciting everybody would watch that yeah i don't think any of those office people would be winning a hundred thousand dollars if that was the situation <laughs> that you're opposing just Probably saying not. but it would be funny to watch yeah we'll see we'll see hopefully that they can uh maybe add some new things and uh and turn it around a little bit. I think that, like I said, the NBA is not alone in their, their all-star game being a little bit lacking or the all-star weekend. So hopefully things can turn around in that regard. Um, yeah. One other thing for me on Sunday, I was just hoping for a more exciting finale of a uh, true detective. I don't know if anybody out there, our listeners are watching uh, this, this latest season. You were and, really uh, into, into the series. This, yeah. This I mean, I, I love true detective season. One's like my favorite favorite single season of television all time and really i just think that the that the remaining seasons the the subsequent seasons in the show just have not been able to live up to it uh at all i'm not going to spoil it for anybody out there the the latest episode the season finale just came out uh last night uh sunday night we're recording this monday night so i'm not going to spoil it for anybody but that was a big letdown but what has not been a big letdown at all this year has been the college basketball product that we've seen out on the court. And that has been, at least for me, the one saving grace on the weekend now with no sports is at least we have some competitive college basketball to look for and to watch. And uh, I thought this weekend, it, the games, the way that they ended up weren't like the greatest, most exciting, but we had, we had a couple of uh, really good games um, that I do want to break down. Patrick, I really want to talk about UConn Marquette, Kentucky, Auburn, Kansas, Oklahoma, Purdue, Ohio State. I thought that those were, to me, kind of the big headline games. I want to say Purdue, Ohio State for the end. Of the other three, is there one that you think that we should we should jump off with and talk about first? Um, of the of the three, no. I was actually surprised you didn't mention Iowa, Wisconsin going into overtime. Wisconsin loses 88-86. and Wisconsin now is as of tonight, Monday, as we're recording is now out of the top 25 rankings. They've been on a bit of a cold streak to say the least since they wound up in the top 10. Uh, they have now lost for five out of their last six games. And the only game that they've won 
was against Ohio State, who fired their coach uh, recently as well, but then also won against Purdue. That was the big game that I I was really like actually following along a good bit with. Um, but of those games you mentioned, I would say just because um, we both went to an SEC school, and, and that's probably the most college hoops I've been I've been watching right now is SEC conference. I would say that um, Kentucky Auburn game, especially with how Auburn blew the doors off of our South Carolina Gamecocks earlier in the week to then follow that up with a home loss to Kentucky who South Carolina beat. It just goes to show you like the sec this year is a conference where anything can happen on any given night. Anybody can beat anybody. It gives almost a little bit of like a, like an SE, like an ACC circa 10 years ago vibe where you've got a couple of powerhouses in Tennessee and an Auburn, if you will, or, or even a Kentucky or an Alabama, whatever, functioning as like your Dukes, your your North Carolinas, your Virginias, right? Your uh, NC States even, or, or some other schools like that. I'm just listing any of the... The, the Blue Bloods, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, the, the, the SEC hasn't always had that perception nationally. And I feel like now it's it's gotten there to where people really see it as if not the toughest conference in college basketball, it's certainly one of them, which is, is different than it, it used to be for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the big 12 would have something to say about being the toughest conference in college basketball, but yeah, I, definitely. I gotta, I gotta say, I mean, yeah, I've seen according to like Lenardi projections and, and other ESPN projections that the SEC could be having maybe like eight, nine teams in the, in the field this year. I mean, we'll see how the bubble shakes out as we get closer to March Madness time. But uh, this is a good one to start off with and, and jump off with because I really thought Auburn would just keep the train rolling personally. You mentioned it. They crushed South Carolina. What did we lose by? 35, 40 points? 40. Something like that. I think that. it was like 40. Yeah, it, 40. the fi- final score of that game was uh, 101 to 61. They scored 100 yeah. points in an SEC game, man. Like, come yeah. on. I was seeing all kinds of numbers. Like it was the largest beat down against the top AP top 15 poll like ever. Or, Chattanooga you know. played Auburn closer this year. Right. I mean, <laughs> and I, Auburn had us pretty much from the get-go. We, we got off to a decent start, maybe in the first three, four minutes of that game. And then, you know, they took off from there and they've been playing really good basketball lately. They have one of the toughest home venues to play against in the country. I mean, their, their students always show out Bruce Pearl. His guys have a lot of energy and this was the team that won four or five coming in. Um, one of the wins on that stretch was also a win against Alabama, who's a top 15 team um, and very highly rated in the net and Kempom and some of those ranks that we talked about just a couple weeks ago when we did our intro to college basketball show. So I really thought Auburn would cruise in this one. I think they're projected to win this game by seven, eight points, according to the spread. And Kentucky really had them from the get go, got off to an 11 to two lead in this one and never relinquished the lead. Auburn was maybe able to pull it within four or five here or there, but this was a dominant victory from the Wildcats. They had more energy. I thought that they were getting loose balls around the rim a lot more. And I was stunned because you had the game day crew here. You know, Auburn had been red hot and Kentucky had been playing their best basketball. They had lost four of their last seven. They had lost our South Carolina Gamecocks. Florida and Tennessee just a couple weeks back went into Rupp Arena and knocked off the Cats. And I'm thinking, all right, Auburn, these are two teams that are really like trending in the opposite direction. And you're right. It shows that anything can happen on a given night in college basketball. And Kentucky comes out with a huge 
huge energy win. I really think that this could in some ways turn their season around. It's not like this team was trending towards a missing the NCAA tournament per se, but when we highlighted their uh, matchup against Tennessee a couple weeks back, we said that this could be a fork in the road for them. And if they lost it, which they did, you know, they could start at least heading down the path of, Oh, they're just another team. They're just, maybe they'll win a game, but they're not any sort of threat come NCAA tournament time. And they can't hang with some of the big dogs of the sec. Well, in my opinion, they proved that notion wrong. This or with their win 70 to 59 in Auburn, Patrick, did you, after seeing this score, did you like, did it surprise you at all considering that you've seen both Auburn and Kentucky play against our Gamecocks and has it changed your notion of Kentucky and what they can do maybe come tournament time after this game? Um, no, no, it didn't change my perception of who Kentucky is as a team, but I will say that my perception of who Kentucky is, is as a team hasn't really changed at all in the last month. Like, they're still they're, no matter what they're still they're still Kentucky dude like they've got they've got DJ Wagner they've got uh Rob Dillingham coming off the bench who like if i had to just pick any issue with this team DJ Wagner i know is also a freshman with a world of talent and the fact that Calipari gets to pick between these two guys as his starting point guard is a little absurd actually but Dillingham with Less minutes off the bench is um, second on your team in points per game, right? He's such a great creator. If there's a way to get both of those guys on the floor and maximize their output as much as possible, I think that is really going to open up spacing and open up the floor for a guy like Austin Antonio Reeves, I should say, who is your team leader in points per game, who dropped uh, 20 plus again against Auburn on the road. Like that's what you need against the biggest of the big boys in your conference and outside of your conference as well. When it gets to that mid to late March time, um, Kentucky, I think is their most dangerous when the expectations for their team are lower. So if it gets to March and they're still in like, I don't know, like rank somewhere in the low twenties or like the high teens, anywhere from that, like 15 to 23, 24 ballpark, People aren't going to take them quite as seriously for whatever reason, just because they're not in the top top 10 when the reality of it is they could still beat you any night, regardless of who it is they're, they're lining up against. Um, Sure. They're not going to execute quite as well as, as some of the other teams that are in that blue blood conversation just this year alone. They've, they've got their warts for sure. Um, I, I wasn't surprised necessarily that they beat Auburn, um, I think it was just the the recent trends from both these teams with uh, Kentucky having a little bit of a blip in their SEC schedule, right? Losing to Florida, Tennessee back-to-back after losing to South Carolina on the road. Then you have another tough game against Gonzaga, who sure hasn't maybe had their best season this year, but they're, they're no slouch either, right? It's the same conversation as Kentucky like they still have all this talent available on their roster they're just trying to figure it out so I don't know man it's it's like I just said the SEC is a beast of a conference this year anybody can beat anybody any night any week home or road doesn't matter and Kentucky proved in this game I think that um 
their season isn't quite as over as some people think. Auburn to me is is probably the best team in the SEC right now. If not, maybe Tennessee. Bama has some has some um, saying that as well, but I would probably give the nod to Auburn currently uh, if I had to. Yeah, I, I I don't blame you. I think that the three teams that you mentioned there are definitely the three teams vying for that that quote unquote term of, of best team in the SEC, whether it be in the terms of an SEC title or just by the eye test. A uh, couple quick things here on Kentucky before we do move on to some of our other games. Really wasn't a game where they lit up the stat sheet offensively. Obviously, as I said, they won this game 70 to 59. Most impressive thing for me was their ability to hold Auburn uh, to a really, really poor shooting night from three. Auburn just four of 22 from beyond the arc in this one. It was a huge reason why the Cats were able to uh, win this game and really prevent Auburn from making any sort of comeback in it. So, yeah, we'll see what Kentucky looks like come tournament time. You made a good point. Like this team, I I feel like they always have uh, this wide range of talent that extends beyond just their starting five where – it takes Calipari a while and sometimes deep into the season to really find out what his best combination of guys are. And he might be figuring it out now. We'll see. I mean, I, you know, one win doesn't solve everything in college basketball, but you know, you've alluded to the fact they might not always be the highest ranked team come tournament time, but they've made deep runs under Cal before as lower seeds. I mean, they were an eight seed when they lost to Connecticut in the national championship uh, the year that UConn had Shabazz Napier. So even if this team isn't on like the top three or four lines in terms of seeding come tournament time, somebody you got to watch out for. I was starting to write Kentucky off, but can't do that anymore. Talk to okay. me about um, the other game I, I really saw that caught my eye was Purdue, Ohio State. I feel like this is one that like. Can we save uh, that one for the end? Yeah, we can. Save I, that want, one I wanted to end. save that one for the end because I think that that's a uh, good to talk about Purdue and where they fall in terms of the the best four. Um, so you want to go into per uh, to uh, excuse me, UConn Marquette then, right? I think that's a good one to talk about next. Uh, this was the highest profile matchup on the slate for Saturday, according to the AP Top Twenty Five poll. These were two of the top five teams in the country. Uh, you had. UConn and Marquette, I believe Marquette was number four, UConn, the number one overall team in the land. And like the score in this one is going to, it's going to reflect poorly on Marquette, but I don't, I can't look at Marquette any lesser or any worse because of this game. I just think UConn was that damn good home environment in stores, Connecticut. That was just absolutely rocking place was loud throughout. And it was a little bit back and forth through the first, maybe 10, 12 minutes, but the Huskies going a 13 to two run at the end of the half. And I mean, that, that was it. I mean, Marquette had no chance to get back into this one, 81 to 53, the final UConn gets the dub here for me. Like I, when I stood out, when I watched this game, when I saw the highlights, the ease at which Connecticut was able to get baskets down low was, was alarming. Um, They had much better size than UConn. They cut their passing was phenomenal. Listen to this. They win the assist battle in this one by a a tally of 24 to nine. UConn assisted 24 times, 24 of their baskets were um, assists and Marquette only had nine assists in this one, just dominating in that regard. Solid defense as well as the Huskies shut down Tyler Kolek, Marquette's leading scorer and Big East preseason player of the year to just seven points. That's the biggest thing for me. They're able to win on both both ends of the court. Um, And Marquette, 
Marquette was an elite top five team coming into this one. They were on an eight game winning streak and they just get, get absolutely dismantled. So it was alarming there. I still think Marquette's a very good team, a team that mm, I don't know if I can quite say that they have final four aspirations this year, but I think it's certainly a team that can threaten for an elite eight and would be in the discussion if things really break their way in whatever bracket they're in to get to the final four. But they need a much better day out of out of their main man, Tyler Kolek. Again, as I mentioned, just seven points here. Do you think this loss has anything to do with the fact that outside of uh, <laughs> a game against Creighton, who is currently ranked 15th, but at the time was ranked 22nd, um, they haven't really played anybody good since 2023. That game against Creighton was on December 30th. It's been a month and change since Marquette has really had uh, a test, so to speak, in conference. And you see it reflected really in their wins. They had two back-to-back losses to Seton Hall and Butler after that win against Creighton. But after that, it's been a string of, of eight straight before getting beaten pretty handedly on, on the road against UConn this past weekend. Um they had a pretty tough out-of-conference schedule early in the year. Illinois, Kansas, Purdue. Kansas, they beat by double digits. Purdue, they lost by two by one possession. Uh, they lost on the road to Wisconsin. Texas, they beat who was ranked at the time but currently isn't. Um, I just feel like the, the Big East isn't giving a regular test this year the way that it used to, and because of that, it's a little bit easier for Marquette to stack these wins and stack these wins, but – um, UConn is a class above everybody else right now in, in college basketball, man, at least on the men's side. Like they're just, they've been the best team in, in the sport since the start of last season. And they've, they've just been on this roll and it's until somebody stops them, they're just going to keep going. But right now it's the snowball effects and Marquette is the next domino to fall in their way. I'm not discounting Marquette come the end of the year, but I do think that they've now shown their weakness, which is if, if Kolek has a bad shooting day, like he did in this one, two for 11 from the field, like they're going to struggle. If, if he's not going, the rest of their team won't be either, unless everybody really plays their ass off, which against the best of the best is going to be hard to, to execute and win in that way. Yeah. You might be able to win a, a game early in the tournament against like a 13, 14 type seed when, with Kolek having an off day. But yeah, once you get into the second weekend of March and, maybe down into the elite eight. If he has a game like this, there's, I agree. There's just no way I can see them advancing. Um, you talked about some of the, the lack of depth in the big East. Yeah. I, I mean, their, their eight game winning streak. It's not like they were facing nobody uh, during this stretch. I mean, they, they have two of the wins on that stretch against Villanova. Who's a team who's like on, I think he was in Joe Lenardi's next four out. It's a team that doesn't have a great record right now, but has had a very, very difficult schedule in conference and out of conference. So, like, that's not a nothing win. Butler's a team that's projected in the tournament field barely right now. They have a win against them. And Seton Hall's kind of right on that bubble as well. So it's not like they were just beating, like, scrubs, although they did have a couple – they have Cupcake in there against DePaul and against Georgetown as well. But I I agree that the Big East is not – it's not top to bottom elite, like, like a big 12, for example, or it's not as deep as a conference like the sec that we talked about, but I, I do still think Marquette's a really good team, but I thought your greatest point was just that there's so much of a gap between UConn and them. And that's really more of a testament to UConn as much as it is to uh, like a detriment to Marquette. 
here's what I can say about UConn right now. The only reason that I could think at this current moment in time to not pick them to win the national championship this year is just the the old adage that it's tough to go back to back. You know, it's like it has nothing to do with their actual team this year. And I feel like a lot of people when they're looking at who would I pick to win the Natty this year right now, the only reason that you wouldn't pick UConn is just because, oh, well, they won it last year. Like, what are the odds they go back to back? But I mean, I arguably think that the way that this team is playing, it's it's more talented right now and it's it's better than the team that won it last year. So, uh, yeah, we will we'll certainly be talking about UConn as we as we hit that top four coming down um, for Paul's best four teams. OK, talk to me about that. Uh, that other game then. Um, well, no, you you wanted to save. I want to say State Purdue for last. So let's talk about Kansas, Oklahoma. Okay. Kansas, Oklahoma was the other game of note that uh, caught my eye. So Oklahoma is no longer in the top 25 anymore. Last week they lost to ranked Baylor and then took this loss to Kansas as well. So two really good teams, but um, you're not going to stay in the top 25 if you're just on the fringe of it and you go 0-2 during the week. To me, I I just wanted this game, I thought, showed me a lot about Kansas because this is still a quality team that they were playing on the road in conference, an Oklahoma team that's projected to be in the NCAA tournament. And by no means did Kansas play their best basketball in this one. They fell behind, I think, as much by like 10 or 11 points in the first half. Um, they were shooting from three, two of 10 early in this one and never really got their their three-point legs under them. This one, I have to look up exactly what their numbers were from three. Kansas was thing. six of 19 total from deep, whereas Oklahoma was eight of 23. Yeah, so Oklahoma had a, had a little bit better shooting day, and, and this wasn't the best three-point performance from Kansas. But when you find a way, when you are as talented as Kansas is, you find ways to just claw back and win these type of games when you don't have your best night. And it was just, they were able to hit a couple shots to start the second half. All of a sudden that 10, 11 point lead for Oklahoma was cut to like five and six. And then around the 10 minute mark, it was, it was like all knotted up 41, 40. I was actually watching the game with a couple of my buddies in Baltimore this past weekend. We were at a, at a restaurant, getting some, some drinks and, uh, and some food and the Kansas game was on and, I was like, ah, oh, damn it. My and my one my one buddy goes, Well, what what's the matter? I go, Well, when this was 4140, I was thinking about putting some money on Kansas minus two and a half live line. And when I said, damn it, Kansas was up like five or six. And I go, oh, now I'm thinking about taking a minus six and a half. And my buddy goes, Don't chase, don't chase. You know, you, you don't want to get in that habit. And lo and behold, next thing I knew, you know, two minutes later, Kansas is up eight. And then they're up 10 just because they were able to hit enough shots. Juan Harris got going and Kevin McCullough so talented. Hunter Dickinson puts up 20 in this one. To me, it was a Kansas-esque win when they didn't have their best basketball and they still find a way to get a big win on the road. Um, I don't have them as my one of my four best teams, but I got them close. And I think that this is going to be a very competitive team that has potential national championship aspirations as well. And while I don't think that this is necessarily a game that people are going to look back on, you know, two, three weeks from now or when we're in the middle of the NCAA tournament, it's a game that speaks to why Kansas is so good with their ability to win this one. Six and four in quad one, only one loss in quad two, one in quad three. I just thought that they deserved a shout out here for, for a game like this when when you don't have your best stuff. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm surprised you referenced Kansas's poor shooting because Oklahoma was the team that really struggled shooting the shooting the rock in this one uh 16 of 50 
from the field, good for a 32% clip to Kansas's 26 of 59, shooting at a 44.1% rate. Uh, Oklahoma had more threes, but otherwise they couldn't hit water if they fell out of a friggin' airplane with no parachute over the ocean. Um, these guys were just really, really struggling. And it, I mean, for Kansas, it's like, they sort of strike me as the sleeping giant in college basketball right now, where for whatever reason, nobody's had them as their toughest, one of their toughest four teams to beat all season. Even when they keep winning these games, the way that they do Hunter Dickinson, we know the kind of player that he is. He's, he's right now on that all American watch list for that first team, John Wooden award watch list as well. Still, I believe, uh, but you've got four out of your five guys in your starting lineup in double figures. And then KJ Adams, who is the only guy outside of the starting or outside of double figures in your starting five, he had nine points himself, right? Like he didn't necessarily have a bad night three for six from the field. He's not forcing it per se, uh, but with Kansas, I mean, they shot nine of 18 from the free throw line in this. They're, they're just shooting 50% from the free throw line in this game. And that's the biggest thing where you're not going to be able to get away with that over and over and over again, especially um, in the meat of this big 12 schedule, which we talked about earlier is a tough conference to play in. And then in those tournament games down the road as well, free throw shooting becomes so paramount. So that's the one thing I look forward to with them uh, or look, look to with them just just to improve upon but you know ninth ranked in the country right now for kansas and i know they've had some bad losses as well west virginia kansas state texas tech uh they still have games against byu baylor and houston ahead i think that regular regular season finale at houston is a real big game to watch out for so close to tournament time having that just as a like a barometer just to see where you're at as a team before the real season really starts, I think is, is going to be huge for both sides. And that could be one of the best games of the season as well. Yeah. And Houston will be out for blood in that one after Kansas whooped them in, uh, in Lawrence. Uh, we'll talk about one or two other things about Kansas when we get into my top four. Um, again, I said, they're not going to be in my top four, but I will have one or two things to say about them. Then some closing remarks on this game. Uh, you were right. If there was one thing that one um, knock against him, it was the poor free throw shooting, only 50% from the line. Uh, but they out-rebounded Oklahoma 40-29 to 29 here. And you're right, Oklahoma overall had a pretty tough shooting day. Speaks to Kansas's defense. When you don't have um, your best looks personally, offensively, you got to crash the glass, get yourself second chance opportunities. They were able to do that just enough in this one. You obviously prevent the other team from, from getting second chances themselves and you turn it into good defense as well. So Kansas is able to do that 67-57 the final here in this one. Which brings us to the final game that I wanted to highlight uh for the college basketball slate over the weekend and it's the game that you were asking about a few minutes back. Purdue Ohio State. Uh for those of you that that might have missed it this game is actually on Sunday, so a lot of times Big 10 will play a lot of their games on Sunday once football season comes to a close and we don't have many other sports to compete with it on the lord's day final score in this one 73 69 ohio state pulls off the upset at home against the boilermakers here it was purdue's third loss of the year um ohio state improves to 14 and 11 might be 15 and 11 um 
They had just fired their head coach, Chris Holtman, earlier in the week. And this is a team that is certainly still on the outside looking in of the NCAA tournament. There's a lot of work left to do. But what a way to respond by beating what some people think is the best team in the country. Not myself per se, but one of the best teams in the country and a team that's tracking towards being a number one seed this year. Phenomenal win. It's maybe a type of win that could potentially save their season. How were the Buckeyes able to do it? For me, it was pretty simple. I thought there were two things that, that they really did well. I thought that they made things difficult for Zach Eady. They were able to make uh, passes inside down low to him, very difficult, and they were able to force some steals off of that. They dominated in the turnover battle in this one. Um, I have the numbers right in front of me. I can't believe I, I missed this. Ten steals for Ohio State. Um compared to Purdue's three, and they forced 14 Purdue turnovers compared to only six turnovers on their own end. I think Purdue tried to force the ball to Edie a little bit too much. Ohio State was ready for it. I thought they had a good defensive game plan with good help. Zed Key did as much as he could. He was matched up against uh, Edie a lot in this one. I thought he was able to hold him just enough. I mean, Edie still gets his 22 and 13. He's got a double-double in this one, but I give the Buckeyes a lot of credit. They're able to hit some timely shots in the second half. They got up five, seven points, were able to hold the lead for most of the second half. Purdue does come back at the end to tie it up in the final minutes, but the Buckeyes hit a couple timely shots, make their free throws down the stretch. Um, Patrick, you were asking about this game. Any initial thoughts just on the whole circumstance, the Buckeyes firing their head coach? Things seem to be going um, haywire there in Columbus. Purdue coming in as one of the better teams in the country, and they leave here with a loss. Yeah, it's um... – it's pretty crazy to me. I think, for one thing, Purdue has now shown that it still has its ace in the hole, being Purdue, of course, that they can choke against anybody, any night. doesn't matter who. It's the, the exact opposite of what we talked about with the SEC earlier in the podcast. Purdue is going to Purdue, baby. At one way or another, one point or another, it's going to happen. It's going to happen in, in the tournament this year, too. Will it be the first or second round? Who knows? Will it be later? Doesn't matter. You can bet on it. <laughs> and you should. Um, but what, what I would say is you mentioned that um, Ohio State held the lead for most of the second half. It wasn't just most of the second half. It was the whole second half, brother. Purdue didn't lead for a single second in the second half of playing this game. In fact, you got to go all the way back to the 244 mark of the first half. So the entire last 22 minutes of this basketball game, they were playing from behind and trying to scratch and claw their way back into it, which is kind of the recipe that Northwestern and, and Nebraska had as well. If you can get up on these guys and, and make them, instead of playing through Eddie, like rely on their shooters and, and try to get back into the game that way, you're going to have a pretty good chance to beat them. Um, Ohio State... Uh, just an awesome win for them considering how their season has gone being five and 10 in your conference is never easy, especially the year where like most people in, in Buckeyes colors were probably thinking Bronny James was going to be their sixth man or like in the starting five or something like that. <laughs> um, yes. I'm, I'm referencing LeBron James as eldest son on the show. Um, but yeah, dude, I, like good for them. Awesome win. I'm going to love watching Purdue go down anytime it happens. I think that's like uh shared, even though like 
I think it's funny because I, I don't have any beef particularly with Purdue. They've never like hurt me per se. They've never even gotten the chance to because they usually lose in the tournament before they can. But <laughs> I still get this. Um, I feel like there's a joint college basketball aura of all the neutral fans. Like it just feels good when Purdue loses. It's like the same thing as, uh, as like baseball is better when the Yankees are good. It's like, Basketball is better when Purdue is getting upset by somebody. Well, you know, to that point, I think that people are starting to, like you said, they're they're getting used to it and they're starting to expect it. And you, it, it segues into what I wanted to say about Purdue perfectly here, where their three losses or four losses, excuse me, on the year now, a lot of them are to against these subpar teams or these teams that are just kind of barely in the tournament field. You know, you've got Ohio State who's on the outside looking in. You've got Nebraska who's squarely on the bubble in this one. They got a loss. I think they have lost to Rutgers on their no, resume it's, as well. It's just the three. It's Northwestern, Nebraska, and uh and Ohio State now. Just those three. Okay. So um, but yeah, like and, and I like Northwestern a lot, but none of those teams are like legit, like deep considered threats come NCAA tournament time. Whereas you know, take a look at a team like Houston, who we're going to talk about on on my my top four. Like they have a couple losses in there as well, but they're the teams like Iowa State, who's one of the top fifteen teams in the country. They got lost at Kansas as well. So it's just these random losses for Purdue. You're right that once they fall behind, I think that people they they know like you got to force the ball to Zach Eady. And granted, Eady was still able to get his points today. He was to go, able to go for twenty two and thirteen. But Ohio State was able to limit him just enough and say, all right, somebody else has to, to beat us. Uh, they were more physical inside, even though Edie has the size advantage there. I thought that they forced a couple turnovers on him. Um, yeah, they, with Purdue some had balls. 14 turnovers right. in this game to Ohio State six. That right. was the huge difference. That's 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 why they're able to come out and, and get this win. So you're right. You know, it might not lead anywhere for the uh, for Ohio State. Uh, I still think that they're on the outside looking into the tournament. And it might remain that way. I mean, this might just be, you know, one a one-off win. You know, they they get a, a new head coach in there, and they're just kind of fired up for this game, and it might not lead to anything. But I guarantee if they go on a little bit of a run at the end of the year here, and if they can maybe make a little bit of noise come Big Ten tournament time, they're going to go back to this win. Obviously, the coaching change as well, but they're going to come back to this win and say this is where it all changed here. So credit to the Buckeyes. Purdue's loss. Like I still think they're going to be a number one seed come tournament time, but I'm asking all the same questions that I do about them every single year because of some of these teams that they've lost to. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you. I just I think that their ceiling is going to be capped because we just have seen this time and time again, year after year, where Purdue is losing to these lesser college basketball teams. And it's not so. I referenced the the turnovers. Go and look at the other games they lost this year, and it's the same story. Uh, the four-point loss against Northwestern. Northwestern had three turnovers in total in the game. North uh, Purdue had 17. Uh, the 16-point loss against Nebraska. Nebraska had nine turnovers in this game, which is a decent amount, but it wasn't as much as Purdue's 14 in a loss. So, I, I mean, it's pretty, like, it's a simple saying that if you're avoiding turnovers in any sport that has it as a stat, you're going to be better as a team. But especially, it seems like for Purdue, they just get in this rut, it seems, of like, if you can pressure them and if you can force them to make mistakes, there's a chance that they're going to keep making mistakes and, and you can take advantage of it. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? If 
like you said, and on all their losses here, they've lost the turnover battle. It's going to be very difficult in some of these situations where they're facing elite guards. Let's, let's take a team like Kansas, you know, come NCAA tournament time. If that was a potential matchup, maybe in the elite eight, you know, Kansas has very experienced point guard in, in Harris. And I would definitely take the Jayhawks to win the turnover battle because of their backcourt play there as well. So it, it, it's cause for concern. We'll see if Purdue can get things in check and we'll see how they finish in the big 10 tournament. I think that they're going to be a number one seed come tournament time here, but I don't know, man. I, I just don't know about them. So those are my four big matchups over the weekend. Uh, to me, Patrick, that shook up the top 25 a little bit. Do you want to talk about um, where things kind of stand on the top 25? I know I thought that you might have a couple teams that stand out to you. Maybe you think that they're a little bit too high a little bit too low. Is there a team, if we're looking at the new top 25, the AP top 25 poll, is there a team that you think is like a little bit too high um, or a little bit too low? Give me a team that you think might be a little bit too high and then one that you think might be too low. Um, As far as too high goes, with the new AP poll just coming out, if I had to pick one, um, I don't know. I, like we've sort of talked about it. A lot of this is getting like jumbled together, sort of game to game, team to team. Like this is the time of year where so many teams resumes look the same, unless you're playing one of the best teams in the country night tonight. I do think it's like Marquette is the only team. I think that kind of surprises me that they didn't fall further from fourth to seventh, but also like you have to go back and look at some of their, their better losses on the year. And that, makes it make more sense why they're ahead of a Duke, why they're ahead of a Kansas, North Carolina, and also Duke, Kansas, North Carolina haven't had the best track records as of late either. Kansas won against Oklahoma this weekend, but they had uh, two other losses as of late too. So I wouldn't necessarily say that anybody is absurdly high in this, that, that shouldn't be um, maybe, maybe, Kentucky got a, a little bit more of a bump than they deserved for beating Auburn, jumping five spots from 22 to 17. But I don't hate them at 17 either. Um, I'm glad that, that the Gamecocks still stayed in the top 25. Uh, I, I would understand if there was an argument against them moving out of it. Um, but I don't know. I, I think pretty soon you'll see probably a Virginia or a Gonzaga uh, sneak their way back into the top 25. You could even see a team like, uh, um, I mean, Florida Atlantic just fell out, but they're going to be right around that bubble of like the top 25 to 30 teams in the country for the rest of the year too. So um, no, nothing, nothing jumped out to the rankings this time around to me as like inherently wrong per se. What about you? So the Marquette bringing up Marquette was a little bit interesting there for me. Um, while I definitely think that you can't punish them too much for losing to a team like UConn and on the road at that, uh, the manner in which they lost was a little bit jarring to me losing by nearly 30 points. Um, I think that you can make an argument, you know, you brought up and you kind of compared them to Kansas who, yeah, solid win against Oklahoma, like not the most impressive thing just in terms of who they beat in the rankings, but I look at a team like Kansas who has beaten UConn and has beaten Houston. And I think that there's an argument to put them above a team like Marquette. So I don't, I don't hate that one. Uh, for me, I think North Carolina is a little bit too high here. I don't really get why they're in the top 10 still. 
They took a loss to an unranked Syracuse team, albeit on the road, but Syracuse is a team that's fighting for their tournament lives and might not even make it themselves. Um, they have a loss to Georgia Tech on their resume as well. Lost to Clemson, I think it was two weeks ago. Like all those teams are unranked. So I just don't think North Carolina is playing their best basketball right now. And, and while they do have some impressive wins like against Duke recently and an earlier season win against Tennessee, I, with some of the losses that they've taken recently, I, I can't quite justify them still being in the top 10. Like I'd rather see like a Baylor and Alabama or even an Auburn, even though they did lose to Kentucky. Like I look at the eye test, all those teams look better than North Carolina to me right now. So that was the team that stuck out to me is like a little bit too high. The only other team that I would have even considered mentioning would have maybe been San Diego State, but also like they've got 20 wins. They're the second best team in their conference right now. Um, they beat Gonzaga earlier in the year. They've had some bad losses too, but I don't know. I, like I said, sort of so many teams, once you get past the top, like, I don't know. Even once you once you get outside of the top like three or four, so many teams look so similar, just in the different tiers. Like you could group together the sixth and the twelfth team and tell me reasons why they're similar, and and I could go along with each one of them. And you could do the same for the teams grouped uh, nineteen through like thirty. You know, so I'm I'm just really excited to get to the meat and potatoes of the season where we actually get into elimination basketball and, and you get to see teams prove it for real head to head. Yeah. If there's one other team, um, just before we kind of transition off this top 25 talk into into like our, our top four teams, I do think that you can make an argument to move Florida up. Uh, a little bit higher than 24. They didn't beat anybody of, of super high note this past week. They had wins against LSU and Georgia, but I think that this team is playing pretty good basketball as of late. And they came in to the week ranked 24. And I, I thought you could have still bumped them up a little bit because they went perfect. Um, they've won three in a row. One of those wins is against Auburn, obviously a ranked team there as well. A road win against Kentucky, I think it was two weeks ago. So this is a team that's playing pretty good basketball. I think it's a team that people should be watching out for. I'd have them a little bit higher than 24 if there was one team I thought that might be a little bit underranked right now. Like you mentioned San Diego State in there as well. And it's it's always difficult for me to rate Mountain West teams because I think that they, they build up their own numbers because the top half of the Mountain West is on paper pretty good those teams always just seem to fold come tournament time. And maybe it's because their, their strength of schedule in conference isn't as strong, but like, I can't, I can't put a team like I, like I'm not going to put Colorado state or San Diego state above Florida. We talked about how good the sec has been this year. I like, I think the Gators should be above those teams too, for example. Come on, man. You're forgetting about uh Jimmer for back in the day. <laughs> what about Jimmer for you, well, you said all these Mountain West teams always full oh, come tournament from, time. From BYU? Yeah, he put BYU out of run there. That was a while back. But uh, if you'll remember, the team that knocked him out, um, at least in one of those tournament runs, was Florida. We go way back to uh, one of their runs. I mean, if we're going to go back in history, man, I mean, go back to those uh, Florida teams that went back-to-back -back national titles with Joe Kim Noah. was Al Horford, your boy, back there. We're oh, gonna come on, bring man. history in it. Jimmer Fredette's the the friggin' pride of Shanghai. He's from <laughs> Shanghai? No, he's playing for the – last time he played oh. professionally was for the Shanghai Sharks. 
Damn. I saw a picture of him, dude, or, or not a picture. I saw him at a, I think it was the BYU Houston game a couple weeks back. And uh, he was at the game in the crowd and they cut to him. Looks, I did not recognize him at all. The only way that I would have known it's Jimmer's because they flashed just his name right under. I don't recognize him at all. Yeah, not going to lie. If, if like, if you had to draw a caricature of what you thought a dude who went to BYU looked like, you would draw Jimmer for that. <laughs> just kind of a generic Mormon guy now. <laughs> Pretty much. No, but um, yeah, I think there's something to to what you said with Florida. I could... I wouldn't have minded bumping them up a little bit. Um, I mean, they have the exact same record as Kentucky, and they play in the same conference, but Kentucky is seven spots And they beat higher. them on the road, and they, too. And they beat yeah. them in Kentucky. So, to your point, there's definitely something there. Maybe that's – that's, and I said I thought Kentucky was a little bit high, too. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't mind having those two closer together, but I wouldn't necessarily flip them outright. Like, if if – yeah, Florida was in the 17 spot. I would say they were a little bit higher. So I'd be cooler with Kentucky, South Carolina, and Florida all being in that sort of 20 to like 24 range, which I guess if you're if you're the one making these polls, it doesn't look great if you have three SEC teams lined up back to back to back to back. So I, I get why it wasn't as so. <laughs> Speaks to the depth of the conference, though. I certainly think that people should have their eyes on Florida as, as we hit March coming up Absolutely. here a little bit. I think that that's a very talented team. Um, and and for our for our Gamecocks, they're going to have Florida and, and Tennessee coming into Colonial Life. Yeah, back to back games. Matchup. Yeah. That that first week of March, like that's huge. And then you go on the road to to Mississippi State who you started your SEC conference schedule with. So really interesting to see how Lamont Paris and, and the boys can um maybe bookend their sec conference success this year in the front and back of the season they've, they've had a, a rough week this week but hopefully it's just a, a blip on the radar because we saw them have that bama georgia not quite back-to-back losses i think that was in a, a span of three games where there was a, a win against missouri mixed in the middle but they they got to turn something around here yeah, I mean, you make a good point about South Carolina. They they fell, I think it was nine spots in the AP Top 25 pool here, and that's that's what's going to happen to you when you lose by 40 to Auburn and then you lose to a, a bad LSU team at home. So, um, yeah, I mean, I still think South Carolina should be ranked, but, yeah, based on what's happened and transpired the past couple of weeks, I think there's even a case that maybe bump Florida up past them or at least bump them right next to them so that's uh that's our brief rundown of the top 25 there uh you can see a lot of sec teams in there as well uh that we were talking about so uh, we'll see how that shakes out in the in the coming weeks now as we did this uh just a couple weeks ago on the podcast i'm going to be highlighting my best four teams in the country these are the teams that i would have as number one seeds if the ncaa tournament started today and it might be getting a little bit boring for you folks uh, because I'm going to keep it pretty consistent. I'm going to have the same four teams that uh, I had a couple weeks back and on our um, on my little intro last week as my four best. But I am going to shuffle around the order a little bit. Patrick, do you want me to start at four and work down to one or one and work up to four? Start at the top for me this time. Okay. So starting at the number one team in the nation – I firmly believe is the Yukon Huskies. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb per se in this. Um, they are 24 and two overall. That is the best record in college basketball. 
nine and two in quad one. That's tied for the most quad one victories. Um, they are the second rated team in adjusted efficiency metrics, according to Kempom, and they're the fourth overall team in the net rankings. Uh, there's not a weak spot on this team. It's experienced. Uh, they were here last year. They have returning guys. Uh, Dan Hurley's a phenomenal coach. Uh, there's not too much else to say. When you beat a top 10 team in Marquette by nearly 20 or ne nearly 30 points, I mean, how can you not be like the firm number one team in the country? I, they are playing the best basketball out of anybody. Any qualms with UConn as the number one team in the nation right now? No, absolutely not. None here. Yeah. So that'll bring me to number two. Um, the number two team in the land for me as of right now is going to be the Houston Cougars. Um, they are the number one overall team according to the net rankings, and um, they are the number one team in Ken Palm and adjusted efficiency metrics. In a so battle have, with Iowa State right now, by the way, too. Oh, that game's going on right now? 28-23 at the half. Houston's leading. All right. Uh, that's a top 10 matchup, ladies and gentlemen. So I definitely got to tune into that after this podcast is up. But yeah, we'll see how that game shakes out. Um, and maybe that will move them up or down a spot. We'll see. But number one in the net, number one in Kempom, they are eight and three in quad one. So just have uh, one game worse of a record in quad run games. I think that the Big 12 is probably top to bottom the best conference. It's tough with how good the SEC is this year. But the Big 12, extremely talented. They have to deal with teams like Iowa State, Baylor, Kansas. Uh, you got BYU in the mix now as well. We talked about Oklahoma. Like, there's so many good teams throughout the Big 12 that Houston has to deal with. So, an incredibly difficult strength schedule. I got Houston at two. Um, is two a good spot for you there? Or would you make an argument for either of my three or my four team coming up? I would say it actually really – a lot of it depends on the result of that matchup against Iowa State tonight who comes out okay. on top because if i was going to pick uh, a bubble team per se to maybe vault into this top four oh, iowa state would maybe be the first team that i look at um i'm not going to spoil who who these other two teams are but um iowa state is not in your top four that's all i'll tell the listeners and mm -hmm. i would say that they they have a, a solid argument to be included amongst those four best teams in the country especially if they knock off houston tonight so i wouldn't necessarily say houston is um is in a bad spot here at two i might not necessarily have them as high again going back to what i was saying earlier a lot of these teams really jumbled together. I, I think UConn is far and away the best team in the country, right? That everybody else is playing for second. Fair enough there. And a uh, fair point about Iowa state. I, I really probably should have given them a little bit more love or thrown an acknowledgement their way. So I'll make them one of my honorable mentions. And yeah, if they do get that win against Houston, I think I might have to bump them in to the top four. They've already beaten a team like Kansas. Uh, so the Cyclones are playing really, really good basketball this year. That's another team you guys should check out if you haven't gotten a chance to see them play. My number three team in the country is going to still be Purdue. Um, so Purdue, of course, took that loss to Ohio State. We've talked about them. Um, they are nine and three in quad one uh, with those some of those head scratching wins that we talked about. They're still quad one losses, um, given the fact that they're a lot of their those losses are on the road. Um, they are two in the net, and I forget where they are in Kempom, but they're a top four team in Kempom as well. I think they're three in Kempom. 
for me, the reason that I don't have them above Houston or UConn here, though the record is is really comparable to those those teams, and the Big Ten is overall a good conference. Um, it's just the fact that they've lost to some of the teams, like you take a loss to Ohio State, Nebraska, Northwestern, like it doesn't compare to some of Houston's losses. I think I mentioned it earlier on the podcast that they've got a loss to Kansas um, and a loss to Iowa State already on the resume. One of UConn's losses is on the road at Kansas, okay? It's like one of the toughest places to play in the nation and then Purdue's coming out here and losing at Ohio state, losing Northwestern, Nebraska. For me, that differentiates it. And that's why I got them at three. Okay. Perfect. So All your right. number four team is Tennessee or uh, Arizona. I have Arizona. I'm going to keep them at number four, uh, Arizona seven and three in quad one. Uh, they do have two losses outside of quad one, um, but they're third in the net. Fourth in Ken Palm, the efficiency metrics, love the Wildcats. Um, I, I, like I said, I think that this team is is talented. They have some returning guys from last year, uh, Pell Larson, Umar Balo, and then picking up a huge transfer in the transfer portal this year and Caleb Love, who's playing phenomenally. Uh, I think that this Arizona team is going to be in a very fortunate spot where the Pac-12 is not that great of a conference, and that's why I, I really can't bump them up any higher than four right now. But they should be able to stockpile wins there, kind of cruise to a number one seed, and we'll see how things shake out from there. Um, good record in quad one. I got them. Uh, their efficiency metrics are off the charts, like I said. So I got Arizona as my as my number four team. But I will say this, just because they're, I guess the strength of their conference is not anywhere near the, the top three, I do have a considerable gap after Purdue. Like I have a big gap between UConn and Houston. And then I have Houston like slightly above Purdue right now. And then kind of another big gap between Purdue, Arizona. So that's how I'm kind of ranking these top four within the top four, so to speak. So those are my top four. Uh, I mentioned Iowa State's an honorable mention there, the way they're playing. And we'll see how their game goes against Houston tonight. Kansas was the other honorable mention I wanted to throw out there. Gave them some love already on the podcast. They're six and four in quad one. Uh, they have some very, very quality wins if you look at their schedule. And a lot of it does have to do with the fact that Fog Allen Fieldhouse is one of the toughest places to play in the country for visiting teams. But they have wins over Tennessee, UConn, and Houston this year. Uh, so I think that they deserve at least an honorable mention. And they're six and four in quad one. However, with Kansas, though, they are like the one team that they of the ones I just mentioned that differentiates from the others in the sense that their efficiency metrics and their Kempom rankings are not great. They're the 17th rated team in Kempom, according to adjusted efficiency metrics, and they are 16th in the net. Um, I believe their offensive efficiency is kind of low this year, and we kind of saw that come into play against Oklahoma. Um, they had to scratch and claw to a 67-57 win there. So I can't put them in the top four because some of those underlying numbers aren't great. But if you just look at their resume and the quality of wins that they do have, they deserve to at least be in this discussion. Yeah, so to your point, I, I would say that, and again, it <laughs> I've said it now. I felt I feel like a broken record. I've said this so many times, but so many of these teams, their resumes are, are super similar. Like, all right, let's look at, let's look at Iowa State, Tennessee, and Kansas, okay? Three three really good teams. Uh, three teams with well, Tennessee only has nineteen wins, but uh, Iowa State and Kansas both have twenty. We talked a little bit about North Carolina, Duke. Even though I, I love me some Duke basketball, I wouldn't say they are 
in that class of like the six or seven best teams in the country. Like it kind of seems like right now you and I are, are set on some iteration of Kansas, Iowa state, Tennessee, Arizona, Purdue, Houston, and Yukon being our seven best teams in no particular order. Right. Like we can, we can argue about particulars who should be in what spot and where we could spend all night going that and really look into the nitty gritty details, but, and the grand scheme of things, that's not going to matter for another month or so. For me, I look at it. If you look at Tennessee, Iowa state and Kansas, just those three teams, right? Really similar records. Iowa state. If you look at their losses this year, okay. The only loss that they have had, well, they have five losses. Only one of those losses have come to a team that was not ranked at the time or is not currently ranked. That's Virginia tech. Everybody else, uh, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, BYU, Baylor, all those teams were ranked at the time. They have beaten the Kansas, like you mentioned. However, for Tennessee's side of things, Tennessee lost to uh, Kansas, if I'm not mistaken, earlier in the year. They also lost to Purdue they by did. four points. They lost to Kansas and Purdue to single digits. They lost to North Carolina in a single digits game. Those are three teams in the top ten right there. Uh, they've had some bad losses otherwise, but we talked about how tough the SEC is. Maybe uh, for a team like a Mississippi State or a Texas A&M or a South Carolina, South Carolina has been ranked now for for a week, sure, but um, we've seen them be be a tough out in conference. I just look at these teams and it's like, how am I really supposed to rank one team over the other? Like Kansas beat Tennessee head to head, then goes and loses to to Iowa State head to head. And and you mentioned some of Kansas's efficiency metrics. There's definitely something to be talked about there. Some of their losses have been pretty uh, glaring, whereas some of their wins they've had to fight a little bit harder to to actually get those. Tennessee night to night, it looks a little bit easier for them, but their conference has also shown an ability to 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 put them out as well. They have uh, three losses now in conference: Mississippi State, South Carolina A and M, which I mentioned before. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily change anything with the top four you have. I really think Iowa State has the best argument to jump into that top four out of the teams that are not currently in there. Kansas is is a tempting pick just because of their recent win against Oklahoma, but they also have some recent losses that I don't like. Whereas Tennessee, it's just like a consistency thing, you know? Um, I, I do say, though, for them, I go back and I look into that three-game stretch of playing Purdue, Kansas, North Carolina, and having those three losses back-to-back-to-back and losing to South Carolina as well. That's the team who I question their longevity with come tournament time. It's not Purdue per se. It's not a UConn as much or a Houston or an Arizona. It's actually Tennessee. Tennessee is the team I'm really nervous about come tournament time. I think of those seven teams that I mentioned, they're the most likely to be an early round exit, even more so than than Purdue, actually. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that with, uh, I mean, they've, they've struggled with a lot of those teams in and around uh, these top seven that we just mentioned. So uh, there's some lack of consistency there. And and then, you know, when you talked about Kansas as well, uh, you know, how much, how much do we value Kansas, you know, playing at home versus, you know, neutral and on the road, like they're going to have to win on the road or 
have to win at a neutral site in the NCAA tournament. And a lot of their their great wins are, are home games. And that's not the type of environment that they'll be playing at come tournament time. So there's a lot of things to consider. And you're right. It, it, the stuff is so fluid. It'll probably change week to week based on the nature of college basketball. I mean, you were saying just yourself that you might be having Iowa state in the top four, just based on the outcome of their game against Houston, which is going on right now. Like that is how close some of these teams are, but I agree that those top seven that we've thrown out there are probably the the best seven. The only other team, maybe you could throw into the mix. I, if Marquette had been a little bit more competitive against UConn, I probably would have made an argument for them. But as I said, when you lose as bad as they did, I can't, I can't put them in the same breath as the others. So those are my top four. Uh, UConn, number one, Houston, number two, Purdue, number three, Arizona, number four. Uh, those have been my top four teams in the country for the past three, four weeks or so, roughly. Um, and we'll see if anybody moves off of those top four spots and off of that one seed line. But um, I'm pretty confident of those as we stand here right now, as confident as you can be in the nature of the landscape that is college basketball. Transitioning now from some of the best teams in the land to a fraud alert. This is our first fraud alert on the fifth and long version of our college basketball podcast. And uh, Patrick, you actually talked about this team a little bit earlier in the show. It's the Wisconsin Badgers. Yeah. Uh, some alarming, alarming numbers here for you. They've lost five of their last six. Four of those five losses were to unranked teams. Iowa, Michigan, Nebraska, and Rutgers are those four unranked teams. Um, Nebraska is projected in the NCAA tournament field, but barely right now. Iowa, Michigan, and Rutgers are nowhere near it. So that's really jarring. Um, Wisconsin falls to six and six in quad one. They are five and three in quad two. So overall a winning record in the first two quadrants, um, but they've fallen out of the top 25 and at 17 and nine, are they still a tournament team right now? Yeah. Are they a lock by any means? No. And if this skid kind of continues, like I point I'm trying to make is I don't think that their NCAA tournament spot is secure anymore where this team is in the top 10 just a couple weeks ago the last time we were talking talking about things we talked about a, a like a good game that they had against purdue and now i'm i'm going on record and saying this team is by no means a lock to make the ncaa tournament anymore that is how quickly things have changed um so they are fifth and long's first fraud alert the wisconsin badgers pat any thoughts on the badgers and the way they've played the last couple of weeks I, uh, okay. A couple of things to unpack. Um, yes, they've had a really rough couple of weeks. Yes. They are also 17 and nine. They're tied for third in their conference right now with a nine and six record. Northwestern and Michigan state are also nine and six. Nebraska is a game behind them at eight and seven. More likely than not, they're going to finish in the top five. They could fall out of it if they keep losing games. Uh, they did have some bigger wins in conference earlier this year. Uh, Ohio State, when they were playing a little bit better, they also have a win against Michigan State. They have a win against Marquette head-to-head -head earlier in the year, as well as Virginia, who's right on the outside of that top 25 uh, rankings right now. Um, I would say for them that their tourney spot is not secure. It really just depends on what happens in these next couple of games. Um, they do have a couple ranked matchups on the cards with a home game against Illinois, who's ranked 12th in the country currently. And then they finish their season on the road at Purdue. 
as well. Otherwise, it's Maryland, Indiana, and Rutgers. Maryland, Indiana, Rutgers are all below 500 in the conference. Um, they all have around 14 wins as well, I think. They actually do all have 14 wins. Wow. Um, yeah, I would say that if, if they can... If they go three and two in those next few games, I think that they're right there on the bubble. Yeah. Whereas if they get a win against either of those ranked teams and they and they go three and two or better, I would say that they're in. Like, yeah. That, if, that's if you go fair. three and two or better and have a ranked win, you're probably in. Yeah. I and and again, I mean are we overreacting a little bit slightly or am I overreacting by saying, you know, I don't think about so. Them not even making the tournament. Maybe, maybe so. not. Um, and do I still think that this team is in as of today? Yeah. And do they still like control their own destiny? Like you said, like, I think that they're still going to be in if they just take care of business against those three bad teams on their schedule, the remaining way, but they're not beating the teams of that quality as of late. And, you know, if that continues, then yeah, you start to have the real conversation, they do have some quality. The, the win over Marquette looms very large for them. That's a very quality win. And you're right. If they can find a way to maybe um, pull off an upset against either an Illinois or Purdue in the final weeks of the season here, I think that that's firmly going to cement their case. I mean, they're already at 17 wins. Like if a big 10 team can just be sitting around 20 wins with some of the quality wins they have, they're going to be fine. But this is a team. I think some people had, as I don't know, you know, top 10 team, uh, definitely like a sweet 16 type team, maybe elite eight squad a couple weeks ago. And I, I just can't get there. I mean, I think I'd be worried about them even getting past the first game in the NCAA tournament. So Wisconsin, uh, you are fifth longs first fraud of the year. Yeah. The Michigan, the Michigan game is the one that yeah. um, really I mean, worried. Michigan me. stinks. This year, dude. Yeah. They're awful. Eight mm -hmm. and 18 overall three and 12 in the conference. Other than that, like, I guess the one silver lining is that they haven't been blown out really in any of these games. The Rutgers lost, they lost by 12, but otherwise it's been all single digits. So it's, would, I mean, you would hope that they're not getting blown out by the likes of some of the yeah, squads they've been facing. I think it's fixable for them. They're, they're just, they're just not playing well. And if, yeah. if they can turn it around and, and have a good, uh, good finish to their season, maybe even a good conference tourney run, you, you could probably see them in the tournament. They do have good metrics in their favor. They're still top 25 in Kempom and the net. So a lot of the underlying metrics do work in their favor, but we'll see how things finish up for the Badgers. Keep an eye out on that team. What else you got for me? On the flip side, let's go to our team on the rise. If you guys remember, uh, the qualification for this is that it must be a team that's playing good basketball as of late and that is sitting outside of the AP top 25 poll. Now, a couple weeks ago, we had South Carolina as our team on the rise. And right after the pick, that looked pretty good. They had gotten all the way up to number 11 in the AP poll. They were climbing in the net rankings and, and Ken Palm, um, where some of their efficiency metrics weren't great, but they were improving. The Gamecocks have since fallen, but I still like that first pick uh, as, a, uh, as a team on the rise. And so hopefully we can bring some good fortune to this next fifth and long team on the rise. And that's actually, this is actually a team that I'm like somewhat familiar with. Um, I listen to a lot of Pittsburgh sports radio. And so they will break down um, what's going on with this college basketball team. And that is the Pitt Panthers. Okay. So Pitt comes in right now with a 17 and eight record. Uh, they're 51st in Ken Palm and 47th in the net rankings. So they are not 
by any means blowing people away in terms of their efficiency numbers. And as of right now, they're still a team that is projected on the outside of the NCAA tournament, but I love the way that they've played as of late. Uh, last week, early in the week, they beat Virginia, who had had a 23-game home winning streak and was ranked at the time. I think we mentioned that Virginia is just on the outside of the top 25 now. They were one of those teams in the receiving votes category. And um, on one of my intros to the podcast, um, one of our fifth and long podcasts, a couple weeks back, I talked about how Pitt had upset Duke on the road in Duke and, and Blake Henson jumped on the scores table and, and everything like that and, and, and was given uh, some flack to the Cameron crazies there. So this is a team that has proven that they, they have some big wins on their resume and they've been able to do it on the road too. Road wins at Virginia and Duke is very impressive. And that's something that I look for in a team. Tied come for the second time. best road win in their conference, actually. Or actually, they, they're tied for the best road record in their conference. Excuse me. There you go. Um, so this and and for me, that's huge because NCAA tournament games are neutral site games. Um, and then sometimes, obviously, depending on where the game's played, it's basically like a, uh, a road game anyway. And so if you can win away from your home venue, I value that so much. And I, I do think that the committee will look at that as well. Um, let's take a look at how this uh, some of the other metrics and how this team's been playing. They're three and four in quad one. They're one and two in quad two, and they do have two quad three losses. So it's not a perfect resume top to bottom when you look at things like that, but they've won five in a row and they've won seven of eight. Um, they are playing their best basketball of the year at this point. They have two big road games on their schedule that I think could continue to buoy them uh, in the quest to make the NCAA tournament. That's a road game against Wake coming up and a road game against Clemson, a team that's uh, firmly projected in the tournament field. I think if Pitt can go four and two down the stretch in their final six and finish the regular season with a 21 and 10 record, and then maybe win a game or two in the ACC tournament, make a little bit of noise. I think that will be enough to get them in. It'd really be nice if they could get a win either against Wake or Clemson. Wake's a fellow bubble team and Clemson would just be a really quality win. So we'll see how things uh, shake out for Pitt. Keep an eye out for them. Blake Henson, one of their best players. Uh, he went off in their game against Louisville on Saturday. Louisville, not a good team by any means, but Pitt absolutely blew the doors off of them. So I got the Pitt Panthers as fifth and long's second ever team on the rise. Yeah, shout out Blake Henson, man. Uh, averaging over 19 points a game for Pittsburgh this year. That's a career high. He's shooting 43% from deep. Almost also a career high. That's like, if you're shooting at that clip in college, bro, like you're going to get NBA looks like so somebody's going to, going to give you a, a chance at the very least. Right. Um, I think Pittsburgh this year is firmly in that second tier of ACC teams where they're just behind your, your North Carolina, your Duke, your Virginia. And then after that, it's sure. a conglomerate of like, Pittsburgh, NC State, Wake Forest, Clemson, like all these teams have had pretty good seasons and, and kind of have similar records, not just overall, but in conference also. Um, Pittsburgh, they, they are benefited by not having an extremely tough schedule these next few weeks. So there's a chance they can win out, actually. And if they do, I mean... Who's if they went they, out, they're going to be, they're going to be in. Yeah, yeah they exactly. Out, be in. And I also think there's something to like, if you have a guy like Blake Hinton on your roster, I don't necessarily think it's something that is like spoken on that the NCAA will reward you for having a star caliber player on your team. But 
Blake Henson is a guy that you want to see play in March. Like he's a guy you want to see shooting a dozen times from deep against a, a, a blue blood in the nation in like the, the second round or the sweet 16 or something like that. So I would say they're definitely a team, not just on the rise, but a team to be on the lookout for um, come the next phase of the college basketball season as well. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, if this team gets in, they're dangerous. Uh, they were, they won a play in game last year and, and uh, followed it up with a first round victory against Iowa state. So this is a team that was there last year, has some tournament tournament experience. Jeff Capel uh, has done a pretty good job the last couple of years. Of course, he was an assistant at Duke under coach K yeah. before leaving for pits. So, so we'll see how the Pitt Panthers can finish off. Um, they have certainly been playing their best basketball of late. Uh, which brings us perfectly into our final topic of this episode. I mentioned Pitt's on the bubble. Wake Forest is on the bubble as well. I just talked about them. It's bubble watch, ladies and gentlemen. And we are sitting out just about exactly a month away from the opening round of the NCAA tournament, which means we're like roughly four weeks away from selection Sunday. And that means we're going to be talking bubble a lot. Uh, there's a lot of teams that are going to be fighting for those final spots, those final at-large bids come tourney time. And I was taking a look at Joe Lenardi's projections for the last four in and the first four out. Um, so last four in, these are the teams that would theoretically be playing in the play-in games uh, that Tuesday and Wednesday leading up to the first round of the NCAA tournament. Currently, Lenardi's last four to make the big dance are Ole Miss, Nevada, Utah, and Gonzaga. His first four out are Wake Forest, Providence, Seton Hall, and Cincinnati hat trick real quick before I go into anything, because I am going to shake these up a little bit and give my take anybody here um, that stands out to you. I was kind of thinking you've spoken pretty highly of Gonzaga so far. Um, are you a little bit surprised that they are barely in according to Lenardi? I mean, no, it, you just look at their, their season. They usually Gonzaga dominates in conference and loses like, a few games in their season and they're automatically in into the tournament. Um, whereas they're, they're not going to have that luxury this year. They're, they're going to either have to um, really play well down the stretch or, or win that conference tournament of theirs. And there's no guarantee they're going to be doing either of those things. I, I think it's not impossible. Like I, I could certainly see them in the tournament come the end of the year. Um I don't know if I, if I was going to make a case, a big case for any of those four teams, um, Gonzaga would probably be, be it Ole Miss. Maybe, uh, Providence and Seton Hall is, is who I look at more though. Actually, those, those two teams, I think are really tough outs and, uh, will give teams fits in March if, if they're included in the big dance. Yeah. Um, you took the words out of my mouth. Um, I I don't really see why Providence and Seton Hall are listed as the first four out right now. I actually, if I'm shaking up the first four out and, and the last four in, according to Lenardi here, I think Providence and Seton Hall have resumes better than these t- other teams that we just mentioned as well. Uh, Providence is four and six in quad one. Um, they're seven and nine combined in the first two quadrants. So it's not like phenomenal. I mean, they're on the bubble for a reason. But no losses outside of the top two quadrants there, and they've got wins over Marquette and Creighton, two top 15 teams. That that looks really good. Like Compare that to a team like Ole Miss, who's just three and five in quad one, and their best win is against Florida, who we have talked about in high regard, but 
Like Florida is on the fringe of the top 25 right now. It's not quite the level of a win like a Marquette or a Creighton. So I love Providence this year. I don't know if you've if you've gotten a chance to see them play, but they're they're a, they're a fun squad to watch. I've seen them play a little bit. My my cousin actually graduated from Providence, so I like to when I see him on TV, I try to tune in and uh, watch a little bit. Weirdly, I've watched a lot of Seton Hall this year. I don't know why, but it seems like whenever I'm like on YouTube TV, just scrolling through college hoops games, they're always one of the first couple ones listed. So I've watched them a good bit, and uh, they do have have the win the wins over Marquette and UConn, which are only the two yeah. best teams in their conference. Like you got to reward that man. And and I understand like you got to win the other games as well, but both those teams are, are pretty tough beats. And um, I hope they're included in things come, come the end of the season as well. Yeah. I'm rooting for him as well here. Um, not to mention uh, in addition to the win over Marquette and UConn, which if you have a win over UConn right now, I mean, that, that should count for like two top 25 wins or two top 10 wins the way that the Huskies are playing. But Seton Hall has also beaten Providence head to head as well. And uh, the committee won't like overly look at head to head just because, you know, a lot of teams beat a lot of teams in college basketball and not everybody gets to play each other. So head to head isn't always the most valuable stat, but uh, considering that, within their own conference. It's a fellow team on the bubble. Uh, that should bode well for Seton Hall. One or two other things about them, five and five in quad one. Uh, we mentioned their quality wins. Their net rankings and their Ken Palm rankings are not great. Um, 63 in the net, 59 in Ken Palm. So the efficiency numbers don't love them. And for me, what I think is the real bad thing about their resume, the thing that why I guess Lenardi has them on the outside right now, uh, they do have two quad three losses. Those are to Missouri and Rutgers. So that doesn't look good on the resume. And sometimes it can negate some of the big wins. But like to me, the magnitude of a win over a Marquette at UConn is greater than the detriment of the loss to Missouri and Rutgers, if that makes any sense. And so for that reason, I still like Seton Hall. Um in the tournament, if it were to start today. Uh, let's see who else we talked about here. Um, Gonzaga. So Gonzaga, I think that you said, yeah, barely in. I actually think I would have Gonzaga just on the outside right now. That's where but, I would I would lean, but I think that, like, the, <laughs> I think that the Kentucky bias, quote-unquote, exists for Gonzaga slightly. Like, yeah, and the fact that they just beat Kentucky recently. Yeah. Um, that is that is their only quad one win. They are one five right now in quad one. So that is not uh, that doesn't bode well for them. They're two and one in quad two. So I mean, I guess it's okay. Uh, best win is against Kentucky. They are very high in efficiency metrics, 23rd in the net, 20th in Ken Palm. For me, with the lack of difficulty on their schedule going forward and really the fact that the only team that they can get like a really quality win the rest of the way is against maybe St. Mary's. Um, I think that they got to probably make a somewhat of a deep run in their conference tournament uh, and we'll see how it shakes out. I'd say win out from here and, and we'll see what they do in the conference tourney. The one thing that will probably bode well for Gonzaga, even though I don't have them in the field now, is just the fact that the name value. I think when it comes down to it, I wouldn't be shocked if they got the nod. Um but I have a tough time believing that they're going to be anything better than a play-in team right now, unless they maybe do win their conference. So time will tell, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Again, so I got Gonzaga sitting just on the outside. Um, I have Seton Hall and Providence in. Uh, 
Ole Miss, we talked about them as well. This is a really tough team for me to evaluate this year. Uh, I do think that their their record is obviously very good. They're in a good conference, but I, I haven't seen them rack up enough wins against quality teams. Um, I have them as my very last team in the field right now. Uh, they're three and five in quad one. They have one loss outside of quad one. Uh, so they have they have they're better in the in the top quadrant of college basketball compared to a team like Gonzaga. They do have the win against Florida um, and Texas A&M, but like for that to be your two most impressive wins, there's still work to do here. They have a chance to potentially beat South Carolina, a top 25 team this upcoming Saturday. They got a home game there. I think that that's a big game that Chris Beard and company is circling for, for Ole Miss because this is a Gamecocks team that hasn't played their best basketball this past week. And um, it would be a huge win on Ole Miss's resume to add to things and maybe bump them up a couple of spots. But as of right now, I'm leaning towards slightly letting them in just because the SEC is so strong this year. Well, and the first time you played South Carolina, if you're Ole Miss, you only lost by one possession in that first game, right? Like you played Kentucky yeah. reasonably close after that as well. Um, Auburn, you you lost to twice, but you never got blown out when it happened. And you beat Florida earlier in the year as well. So yeah, I think there's something there. You also, like you said, you get to play a South Carolina. You still get to play a Bama as well. Um, got a couple, a couple other toughish SEC teams mixed in there also with with Mississippi State and uh, and A and M. So I, I would say I don't think they have quite the resume right now to make it in, but they they could get there if they win a few games down the stretch here and. Uh, have a good showing in the SEC tournament also. Yeah, they're like they're they control their destiny as well. I mean, they they have uh they have the opportunities to really boost their resume in the final weeks here. And we'll see if they do it. Like I said, I think Chris Beard's a good coach. And I wouldn't be stunned if this team finds a way to get in uh come March. I'm gonna lump Nevada and Utah together. Um Nevada and Utah were both currently projected in the field, according to Lenardi. I'm going to um, zig as he zags, so to speak, to take one of your quotes out of your mouth, Patrick. Um, I got Nevada and Utah both on the outside looking in right now. I'd put them in the first four out. Uh, Nevada, 44th in Ken Palm, 45th in the net. Uh, not terrible efficiency metrics. Nothing that jumps out to you. I, I just think that like, they get propped up because of the other Mountain West teams that they play, where I just don't think that that conference is elite top to bottom. Yeah, there are some good teams like your Utah States, Colorado States, New Mexico's in there, but it's just not enough for me. Um, five and four in quad one for Nevada. Uh, I do have a slight lean over Utah um, when it comes to Nevada, because Utah is uh, has only three quad one wins and a quad three loss to Hawaii. So I think that if it came down to Nevada and Utah, I'd put – Nevada in over Utah. Um, but I got both these teams on the outside looking in. Uh, Utah 46th and Ken Palm 50th in the net. So nothing crazy on the efficiency metrics there. The Utes' best win is against BYU, a fringe top 25 team. And I think Nevada's best win, they would probably say, I guess, is against TCU this year, who's a team that's in the field right now, but not like comfortably. So again, like nothing jumps off the page at me with these guys. And I just don't think that like, I can't justify putting in a mountain West team over a team like Ole Miss say, who's in a tougher conference, who's got more opportunities and facing a way tougher schedule night in night out. With Utah. Um, 
under 500 in their conference. They have lost five of their last seven games. I don't really see an argument for them being in a tournament currently yeah. just with, just with both those things being considered. I mean, like, I guess kind of like how we've been saying with these other teams, it kind of depends on how you, how you do down the stretch here. Um, like you still have to play Oregon on the road. That's, that's a tough game. Colorado win, yeah. on the road. That could be a tough mm-hmm. win as well. But like, ultimately you're just kind of running out of, out of wiggle room and you're, you're running out of time to improve your case as well. So Utah has got to stack some wins here fast at the end of the season. And then with Nevada, who, who you also mentioned, um, they're not quite as far out to me. Like the mountain West is, isn't a great basketball conference. So it's, it's well, okay. It's not an awesome basketball conference, but Utah State is always, teams, but dude, I, yeah. Yeah. Like San Diego. I just don't State know ranks, how good they actually are. I know what you're I saying. I feel like they just buoy their own resume by playing each other. And I, I don't know. I know what you're saying. I, I guess with Nevada, it's like, you got to win out. If you can beat Colorado state on the road, that really helps your case because they're also a ranked team. But other than that, yep. like you're going to have to pretty much win out in your games and then have a great showing in that mountain West tournament as well. I, I bet that there is something to them, but just looking at their like points per game and assists per game totals, rebounds per game totals, they're not, like nothing really jumps out to you statistically wise. So for them, it's really going to have to be a eye test thing or just like getting the results that you need. Um, I think their path into the tournament is a lot murkier than some of these other teams we've, we've gone over. Right. So only two teams left that I haven't touched on among the last four and first four out. Uh, uh, those two teams are Cincinnati and Wake Forest. Uh, let me talk about Wake Forest here. I actually think of all the teams that we've mentioned, they might be the worst. Uh, I don't get why Wake Forest is projected even at the first four out. Um, they're one in six in quad one. Their efficiency metrics are somehow good in Ken Palm at 26. They're 40th in the net. Uh, to me, they just haven't beaten quality enough win uh, quality enough teams um their one quad one very is against florida uh but that's that's it there um we talked about how pitt is going to play them coming up that's a big chance for them they are at home in that one so maybe we'll see if they can pull one out against another team that's vying for an ncaa tournament spot but undefeated at home away. Also, i think wake is 16 and 9 or something they're 16 and 9 yeah but they're undefeated at home they're 13 and 0 at home mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's nothing to sneeze at, but like, remember when I was talking about Pitt, how I'm going to value a team that proves that they can go win on a neutral side or go win on the road because you're going to have to win in environments like that come tournament time. To me, I value that more, and and if Wake just has the, the putrid record that they do away from their home venue, that doesn't bode well uh, for me. So I, I got Wake as, my, as one of the first four out. I actually probably might even have them um, a little bit further out, which means – that uh, the last team that I'm actually going to let in is Cincinnati. And don't get me wrong, Cincinnati is hanging by a thread in this one as well. They're only three and six in quad one, uh, but they do have the nature of the fact that they are in the Big 12, an extremely difficult conference. So strength of schedule looks great. Um, Good wins over Texas Tech and BYU. BYU is actually 10th in the net 
this year. The efficiency metrics love them. That's just because they rain down threes. So like analytically, like analytically in college basketball, like in basketball in general, the best thing to do is shoot a three. Um, that's like part of the reason Steph Curry is able to change the game and, and people just kind of, and BYU shoots as like many threes as anybody in the country. I've watched a couple of their games. It's ridiculous. They just rain them from out outside the arc, but, uh, Cincinnati does have a win over them. Um, bad loss in quad three to West Virginia. Uh, but the efficiency metrics are actually pretty good for Cincinnati 36th in Ken Palm 37th in the net. So, um, not a bad team overall here. I would put them as my last team in the field. So to recap, um, I'll start with my first four out. My first four out are Gonzaga, Nevada, Utah, and Wake. And then my last four in, I put Seton Hall, Providence, Ole Miss, Cincinnati. Uh, so that's, I would shake up Lenardi's last four and first four out a little bit. I think that we went over pretty, pretty comprehensively here. Uh, Patrick, any thoughts on Cincinnati before we close with some of the numbers I threw out there? Well, I mean, you, you spoke to the big 12. They play an absolute buzzsaw of a schedule. Like they've already played Houston once. They have to play them again pretty soon here at the end of this month. Uh, you've got Iowa state on here. You've got Kansas, Oklahoma, TCU, Baylor, Texas, yeah. BYU pre-conference. They played Dayton. Who's a ranked team now uh, and lost to Dayton as well. Shout out uh, Dayton flyers. Um, I, I think there's other teams in the big 12 who like, if you just look at it, wins and losses wise. And um, there's a couple teams in the big 12 that have similar, similar records in and out of the conference to Cincinnati. So I don't think that they have necessarily an overwhelming case over the other teams in that sort of mix, but I, I don't think they're far out of it either. Um, Like I think Texas could, could get a little bit of a look from, from a, uh, from some team, from some people that are just looking at teams on on a on the on the bubble, so to speak, Oklahoma is uh, probably more of a sure sure thing there. But like Texas, Cincinnati, even like Kansas State to a certain extent in the Big Twelve might have a a case to be made at the end of the year as well, because the the Big Twelve has proven itself to be. In the in the ballpark with the SEC is the toughest conference in college basketball, and probably even tougher than the SEC this year, uh, just because of how many yeah, ranked teams are in there, how many top quality teams there are too. Like, this is a conference that's quickly starting to rival the ACC with the the high major talent at their disposal. So, um, Cincy, I, I could definitely see making it into the conference, but they got to keep winning games, and that's not easy to do in the Big Twelve. Well, yeah, I mean, you you said like the schedule that you threw out for them the rest of the way is, uh, I think I could be wrong. Maybe there was uh, one or two team non-tournament teams in there, but I, I thought every team that you threw out there that they have to play still is a team that's projected in the NCAA tournament field right now. That's the nature of the Big 12, the gauntlet that you face night in and night out. And their record's not going to look as good as like a Nevada Utah or Gonzaga that I have in my first four out, but throw Nevada, Utah or Gonzaga or Wake Forest into Cincinnati's schedule. How well do they do? Um, I think that it's something to be said that Cincinnati is facing the best of the best night in and night out. Uh, they are hanging by a thread, as I said, but I'm going to reward them for the teams that they have to play. 
in February and in the early parts of March here. So I'll put Cincinnati in my last four end. Um, Patrick, I want to thank you very much for uh, talking college basketball with me. I hope that this was informative to everybody. Hope everybody had a, a chance to, I guess, maybe learn some things about some of the uh, teams that maybe they haven't gotten a chance to check out yet. Uh, there's some great games coming on this weekend. Uh, one of the highlight games I want to throw out there for listeners, take a look at the Baylor-Houston game this Saturday. Uh, we talked about Houston's in a battle with Iowa State right now, so it's certainly a tough stretch for the Cougars there. I think a battle in-state battle in Texas uh, could definitely be one to look out for Baylor-Houston there. So that's my game to watch for this Saturday, dude. Uh, Patrick, any closing thoughts here? It's been a lot of fun. Um, no, not a ton of closing thoughts. I think we did a great job covering everything today that, that we wanted to touch on, not just from the week to come, but this past week as well. Um, other games that I, I would be on the lookout for Duke wake forest, man, wake forest got a big one. Yeah, if big they're one on, for if they're on the bubble, yeah. then, and maybe they can steal a win from the blue devils and, and perhaps, um, boost their chances. Kansas State in a really similar situation against BYU as well. K-State is probably just on the outside of the bubble, but if they could get a win at home in this game, it could it could really help their chances. Um, otherwise, there aren't a ton of games I'm I'm looking at for this week. Bama, Kentucky is the only other yeah, one I, I would say that too. you really can't sleep on. Like We've talked a lot about Kentucky. We've talked a lot about Bama and, and how good of a team they are. Um, I would say that is probably my game to watch for, for this weekend. It's a good one. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we do also have um, UConn Creighton Tuesday night. Maybe maybe Creighton gives a test to, to the Huskies, but I'm sticking with Bama, Kentucky as my game of the weekend. I like it. I like it. All right, everybody. Um, check out some of these teams, some of these teams on the rise, some of these frauds, some of these teams on the rise, some of these frauds, uh, some of these bubble teams. Check them out. Let us know in the comments what you think, who you like, who you don't. Um, if you have any problem with my top four, let me have it. I'll defend it. And uh, be on the lookout this Saturday. Uh, hopefully some of you saw last Saturday we had uh, we had some Pauly's picks. Uh, this Saturday I'll be coming out with some more college basketball spread picks for you. Tail them, fade them, do whatever you want. I went three and two last week, so uh, so ride or die. I think that's going to do it uh, for the fifth and long podcast here. Myself, Paul, the Kamish Kashak, uh, my counterpart, Patrick tomorrow. We want to thank you guys for listening. Um, and as always, God bless Patrick. Any final words? No, that's it. Thanks for tuning in. Fifth and long fans. Find us on the socials at fifth and long on Twitter, fifth and long pod on Instagram and YouTube and stick around. Got a lot of exciting news, a lot of exciting content coming for you the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout for us. Take it easy, guys. Awesome. Thanks, y'all. Have a great night.